Hello and welcome to the Truth and Love podcast. I am Brad Horton, your host. This is episode number one, and we are going to speak concerning the truth about salvation. But before I do, I wanted to take a few minutes at the beginning here of this first episode to give you some kind of background and synopsis about why um, I want to do a podcast since it seems like there are millions of them out there for every possible scenario. Uh, I am a bivocational pastor of Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Temple, Georgia, and you can uh, visit our website at mcbaptistchurch.net. That's mcbaptistchurch.net. And there you can browse around from sermon outlines, events, and other things that are coming up. Um, so the plan is uh, to do a couple of episodes a month uh, concerning uh, subjects. Uh, sometimes they are uh, affecting the church in a cultural way. It's what we have to deal with on the uh, outside, the culture. Uh, sometimes they're internal, um, theologically, and we want to look and speak about um, the truth concerning all of those situations. Uh, and it will vary uh, from episode to episode, uh, whatever that it may be. But that's kind of the synopsis of where I want to go with this podcast. So, uh, having said that, the topic topic for today is uh, salvation. And of course, we can spend hours um, defining the greatness of salvation and so forth, but I want to speak the truth and love concerning salvation because it seems to have uh, been watered down over the years. Uh, and it wouldn't be the first time that that's ever happened. Historically, you look back and see uh, how many false gods and uh, how many uh, false religions has erupted out of weird and bizarre things. But when we speak the truth in love, I just want to kind of lay this uh, this foundation. When we speak the truth in love, it does not mean that we go around telling everybody their faults. Um, we must be careful on, on that point because we don't want to establish our own standards above God's and invoke those on others. Um, so just because um, somebody sings a bad song <laughs> or... They don't sing sing it well, or you know something like that, or you just don't always have to to speak and tell everybody you know their faults. And like Ecclesiastes says, there's a time to speak, time to keep silent. But when it comes to truth concerning the standard set forth in the Word of God, then yes, for a pastor, for a teacher. We are to speak the truth 
and to the congregation, to those gathered to, in Bible studies. We aren't to water it down. And I draw from Ephesians 4.15, which says this, and quote, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. So we'll take part of that verse and we'll look at it as the foundation really for the speaking truth or the Truth in Love podcast, which is speaking the truth in love, speaking the truth in love. So those are two important, both an end point and a beginning point that we need to understand. Now, that verse does begin with a conjunction. Here's another important thing when it comes to um, interpreting Scripture, reading Scripture, and understanding it, is that it begins with a conjunction. So the prior verse, which is Ephesians 4.14, says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. So, and then it launches into verse 15, which is, but speaking the truth in love. So A, looking back at Ephesians 4.14, we are no longer to be children, um, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, So, and the trickery of men by the craftiness in deceitful scheming. So you see that there is a, 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 a scenario taking place, and there is a... Um, people are being tossed by every possible thing that comes up. And we know that to be true today in our culture. And we, we can see that. We see every ch- we have churches that are changing their theological positions based on which way the wind is blowing. So not speaking the truth, and here's one of the key elements to this, not speaking the truth will result in varied positions that you take. So if you want to kind of get a hold of something right now. And uh, if you don't hear much else, I would hope that this would sort of stick, that not speaking the truth will result in very positions that you take. So if you, you know, allow something that is clearly and biblically wrong to exist in your life, in the life of a church, in the life of, uh, of your marriage, your family, or whatever it is, if you allow that to persist knowing that it is biblically and clearly wrong, then you're going to change your positions over time on these clearly defined theological positions. You'll vary. You'll believe it when you talk to this one and you'll change it when you talk to the other one. So let me be clear from from the start, and and this is where I'm digging my heels in, not on what I've done, but on the Scripture Let me be clear about this, that truth is not subjective to a culture. It's not subjective to your opinion. It's not subjective to some famous person's take on the subject, an athlete, a movie star, whatever. Truth isn't subjective to what they think. It's not subjective to what Hollywood 
stars think about marriage, about family, about gender, about holiness, about righteousness. It, it doesn't matter what they think. It's not subjective to how a culture views a particular biblical theological truth. The church doesn't say, well, you know, because everybody else views it differently, then we're going to change our positions. That's happening now, and you see the disaster that's coming from it. But as one grows in the Lord, as you grow in the Lord, in His Word, then He begins to narrow you in on your convictions about truth and about certain things. So just keep this in mind. We have, have a point. This would be one major uh, a point to consider, and that is that the Bible does not change. The Word of God does not change. We have in our hands Scripture, Holy Scripture, right here. It has some turning of some pages there. Okay? We have holy words of Scripture, all right? And they don't change. It's a, it, it doesn't matter what the culture thinks and what popular uh, people, uh, virtue signalers think. The truth doesn't change. So keeping that in mind, so when we speak the truth in love, again, there is that connection. There's a twofold point. Speak the truth in love. But let's remember this stubborn fact. All right, so that'd be point one. You're, you're making notes or you, you, know, you kind of keep them in your mind. The, the truth, uh, the culture doesn't, uh, change the truth, and we're not subjective to that. Secondly, let's remember this stubborn fact. that We live in a world of lies. Lies. And therefore, the truth is the natural enemy. So if you are a believer, and, and you're a Christian, and you uh, believe in biblical truth, and you try to live your life uh, based on biblical truth, okay? And, and you're... Raising your family on that, you're holding to that. You just got to remember that because you live in a world of lies, then, then the truth is the enemy. And Paul asked that in Galatians 4.16. And quote, so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? Question mark. Paul was speaking the truth about holding in context. He was speaking the truth about holding to literal circumcision and adhering to laws and commands as an addition to salvation. So they were called Judaizers. So they were believing that you could be saved through Christ, but it had to be by circumcision. That was the evidence of it. You had to, so if you, you couldn't just be saved by faith alone, you had to be physically circumcised. That's what Paul is saying. He said, have I, have I become your enemy because I tell, told you that truth? You know, some pastors that are preaching the truth in some churches and people are getting upset because, man, it goes against what they believe, how they want to live. So in Galatians 5, 7, he asked another question. You are running well, running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Who did that? Who's, who's drawing you away from the truth? So given that fact, let me make just a, just a couple of notes on this passage. It seems to me, and as I say this, it seems to me that someone had interjected some additional aspects of salvation. So they had said, hey, 
you can be saved, but, and that really is dangerous. So I know that a person can grow in the things of God and change views that he or she once had. I understand that. I have. You can grow theologically. You study the Word of God. Some traditions that you've always heard may not have lined up with Scripture. You can change some of your positions as you grow in the Lord. And in all ways, those positions reflect more what the Scripture says. And those views would be more in line with God, not the culture. So you're growing or you're changing your views. So, well, I've changed over the years. If, if your change has gone towards more like the world, then you, you, that's, you've gone way in the wrong direction. But if your change has grown more in line with Scripture, then that's a, that's a good change. Now, as we grow in knowledge of God, as we read, as we study, as we dive into God's Word, that happens. You are going to be more like Him. Now, here is the kind of the bump in the road, but when the truth, listen, when the truth of Scripture becomes second fiddle, something, someone, or some movement has hindered the truth. So just keep this in mind, that the truth is always and always will be the truth. That's not going to change. But one can be hindered from the truth as they adopt positions contrary to Scripture. So, the truth doesn't change. The Scriptures, man, they don't change. The Word of God does not change. It is still the same as it was yesterday, today, and forever. And the Word of God, the Scriptures, are always true. And so when we when we hold to that, then there's going to be and um, let's say uh, some pushback from you know more enlightened individuals, so to speak. But it can never become second fiddle. The truth can never become second fiddle to something or someone or some movement. So here you have Paul's concern for the Christians in Galatia. This is why he was writing this. And this is a matter which he spoke to the Ephesians concerning the truth. He said, speak it, but do so in love. And this is what he was doing. And the same principle applies to us today. We must speak the truth in love. Either do both or do neither. Now, I didn't come up with that phrase. I think Todd Friel did. Or at least that's where I heard it from. But it's so potent to me. Speak the truth in love. Do Either do both or do neither. We have seen in two distinct places in Scripture so far that the truth is paramount and it must be spoken. And go back to Ephesians 
I mean, Galatians 4 and Galatians 5. And by becoming your enemy by telling the truth, you're running, running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? So we have seen that. Um, but in Ephesians 4.15, there is a benefit to speaking the truth in love. And if I may say now, at this point, it is vital. Both of these elements are essential. Speak the truth in love must be combined. You can speak the truth, but in a hateful, brash way and may result and even may instigate in the result um, a result, excuse me, uh, instigating matters worse. If you speak the truth, but you do so in a very prideful or hateful or brash way. But you cannot be silent on truth in order to appease. That's another thing. That's just right the opposite of that spectrum. You've got those that say, well, look, I'm going to speak the truth. I'm not going to do it in love. It's just, it is what it is. And bam, bam. And there you go. And there's others that say, well, you know, I really don't want to do that because it might offend somebody. I want to appease them. Uh, both have a terrible results. There are certain liberties Christians enjoy. I understand that. Uh, maybe that's another subject for an episode some other time. There are uh, uh, certain liberties that um, that are Christian liberty, okay? Uh, but there are no compromising of truth in Scripture. I've witnessed over the past decade an erosion of truth that's coming from the pulpit. It's very troubling. I mean, I've um, you know, just watched this explode into something grotesque. There's nothing more really uh, disgusting to me than to see the compromise of Scripture in the pulpit and the, the, the low view of God coming from the pulpit in order to appease a crowd. But in the book of Galatians, Paul was addressing the drifting away of Gentiles to adding circumcision, obedience to laws, to the gospel. They believed there was a Savior, but they were adding works to grace. He was rather shocked they did so. Listen to what Paul said in Galatians 1.10. For I am now seeking the favor, for am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men if I were still striving? trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. He may have been accused of being a men seeker, but he rightly defended the truth of the gospel of grace. And this is the question he asked again of the Galatians. Am I seeking favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? So there's a, there's a marked difference here. For churches seeking to please the culture of men and what they think, then the gospel's been altered and the truth has not been established and st- stood upon. Men will add or even take away scriptural truths of salvation in order to make it more appeasable. And we see this in what is termed the seeker-friendly church. We see this in what is termed churches that are trying to please lost people. And you do so by by watering down the gospel. So if a church is seeking to do that, 
there's trouble. Men will add or even take away from scriptural truths of salvation in order to make it more peaceable. Let's think about this for a moment. Um, first, men want to hear a truth that fits their beliefs. And I think uh, that is probably one of the most prominent things we see that is that is affecting uh, the, the the modern day church right now and its weakness is that we're, we're designing services, we're designing worship, we're designing all of that and selling the gospel. We're doing this around an attempt to please men rather than God. And the other thing is, and the reason is, is because men want to come in and they want to hear a truth that fits their beliefs. So let's talk about this for a moment. Let's just get real. Let's speak the truth in love, okay? Do both or do neither. So let's talk about salvation. According to what we read in Galatians, salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone, and it wasn't enough for them. It wasn't enough. They were adding circumcision and keeping the law to faith. They were adding other things. They were saying, hey, man, that's not good enough. They were creating a works-based salvation. And I'm often wondered why men want to add to something so graceful God has established. The man wants some kind of credit. He wants something to take credit for. Hey, I saved myself or I've done this. And he wants to say he has had something to do with his salvation. In today's modern culture, post-modern thinking society, the truth as to what you think it is has crept into the church. All right, here's the problem. And it's done so in not so obvious ways. One would think every church leader would be aware of a false or muddy salvation would be noticeable, but it is often not. The truth is, even in small rural churches, the gospel has been muddied. It has become somewhat unclear. And the reason I can speak on that is because I've been in a small rural church setting, a pastor, and, and for for the most part, of the past 25 years. And what I mean concerning the muddied gospel is the idea of salvation is presented with heavenly, heavenly, excuse me, my words tied up sometimes. It has been presented with heavy emotional stories, long invitations that pull upon people's heartstrings, I mean, look, let's just be honest about it, okay? Uh, I've been there, done that. Um, and sometimes this is just kind of goes against, you know, what you will see in, in, in a typical rural setting of many, many churches. But, but let's, just, let's just be honest about it. Let's just speak the truth in love. Many people have made a decision many years ago based on their salvation upon just what I said. Emotional stories. Long invitations, scary stories. They've done so and they base their salvation upon that, not upon the work of regeneration in Jesus Christ. Why? 
because they've lived like the world since their decision. I'm not going to say that again. Because they have lived like the world since their decision. There was no change. They were, they were drawn down, maybe scary, scary stories on hell, maybe uh, whatever kind of situation drawn out, begging, pleading. And I'm not faulting those guys. I mean, I, I don't think their, their tendency is to be heretical at all. I just think it's, a, it's just kind of a weak, emotionally driven, decisional regeneration. And many people are looking back and saying, hey, I remember doing this, doing this. I made that decision. Yeah, but let's, what has your life been like since then? Has there been any change? Has there been any, any desire for holiness? If there hadn't, man, you never got saved. You're, you're building your life on a decision. A decision. Not a work that Christ did. Now, keep in mind, I'm not saying that you cannot be saved early or even in an altar of a church. No, I'm not saying that. But if you are using that event that you did as a means of your salvation and your life doesn't reflect godliness and holiness, I doubt you were ever truly saved. I mean, listen, the, the fact is it's a, that is a type of decisional regeneration and it has been promoted for, for nearly a century. Primarily, this was engineered by Joseph Arminian, who championed the first altar call way back in the early 20th century. But many times we have heard from the pulpit scary stories, emotions that pull on people to make a decision, but it has no lasting change. None. No lasting change. You ever, you ever, just take a look at it. If you're in your 40s, 50s, just take a look at, them, at, at those kids that were in church and everybody's in church and they're in their teens. You know, where are they at now? Most of them aren't even in church anymore. Man, they get out of high school. Man, they get out and go on their own. And and look, I'm, I'm not condemning that. I'm just, just trying to, to be honest about it. When we just try to get people to make a decision, then that's not the truth of the gospel. Scary stories and all those things, they have no lasting change. Many pastors and evangelists say the most important part of a service is the altar call. I know I'm going to get, you know, in trouble here for saying that. Uh, people are going to rattle, rattle me about it. But uh, look, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem giving an invitation to respond. I have no issues at all with that. At the end of the service, we want to pray. You want to come talk to the pastor or other elders or leaders of the church? And then I have no issue with that. But but turn it into some kind of circus, some kind of thirty minute uh, drama, just to get somebody to the altar and tell them they're saved and they've never repented. They've just done it because they feel bad. Man, that's decisional regeneration. They haven't. Trusted in the regenerative work of Christ. A lot of times, just a portion of Scripture is read. They tell many stories and events rather than an exposition of the text. It just gives them amen. Then they bring the whole thing to a resounding end by long altar call, verse by verse pleading with people to repent now or die on the way home. I heard those stories. 
Then I've walked an aisle and made a couple of decisions based on those stories and never got saved. Did y'all hear that? You want me to repeat that? But people come down and make a decision not to go to hell, but they never repent. Thus we have a great crowd of folks who repeated a prayer and yet never made a genuine turn in repentance, a turn from sin to God. And that's happening in many, many places every Sunday. And again, I'm not saying that if you did that as a child, that you're not saved. Don't misunderstand me. But when we replace emotional storytelling, scary stories with the verse-by-verse exposition of the Holy Word of God, you're going to produce a ton of false converts. And now you have um, this being evidenced in the culture because a lot of these people were in churches when they were kids and they heard all of this stuff. They never heard the truth, the truth of the gospel. They were just told to live a few certain rules and look this way and do that. And man, now they're out there and they're not even redeemed. And that's the truth. And I hope it's loving. I think it is. But just keep this in mind that not at every church, nor does this mean that this is some form of heresy, but I believe it is ill-equipped and ill-informed to make such pleas for people just to get a decision so you can turn it in to a local association and say, we have had this, we've had that. So I'm going to dig just a little bit deeper for a moment. And let's talk about the truth about salvation. And and we know there are and have been many false converts in churches. We see this. I see it now, man. I, I do. It's everywhere. You probably notice it too. But let's answer a few questions. What does it mean to be saved? And how does one get saved? And what is the evidence of being saved? Those are good questions. And they need to be addressed. And they need to be talked about in the church. But let's combine the first two questions by addressing them with the answer faith and repentance. So the first two questions that I would ask, what does it mean to be saved and how does one get saved? First, knowledge alone about God isn't enough. Let's just take that. Let's just be honest about it and understand that knowledge about God isn't enough for salvation. There are a lot of people in the world that you work with that say they know about God they know he died for us, but yet they just, that's all they know. They just know that, but it's not enough. You can know about his resurrection. You can know about his life. You can know about his death. And you still be a rebellious person and not a believer. We see this in Romans, that many people know about God's law, but they didn't obey them. And this is Romans one thirty-two in quote, Although they know the ordinance of God. Do you hear that? They know the ordinance of God. That those who practice such things are worthy of death. So they know that. But they not only do the same, but also give a hearty approval to those who practice them. Do you hear that? They know the ordinance of God. 
They know that. But you know what? They do the same. They practice those things. And they give an approval to those who do them. Well, if we aren't there, then I don't know where we're at. I mean, we are, excuse me, we are right there. So one can agree with the fact that God is, has laws and yet you can rebel and ignore them. But this is something that we've seen a lot of evangelical churches, right? Acknowledging the laws of God, but twi- listen to this. We acknowledge the laws of God, but we twist them to fit our needs or lifestyle. We twist them, not believing nor following them. So in other words, you see churches now that are won't take a stand against Abortion, I'm just talking about some issues. Abortion, uh, same-sex marriage, gender, transgender, um, um, sexual immorality, folks living together, alcohol, et cetera, et cetera. So we can go on and on and on about that. And what they've done is they've twisted some of these things in order that they might. And another one, and I'm going to do an episode on this, but another one is women in the pastoral ministry. Man, we twist it. We're doing hermeneutical gymnastics in order to get things to, to where we like them. And that's not the truth of Scripture. In, in Acts 26, 28, listen to this conversation took place between Paul and King Agrippa. And here's what King Agrippa said. He said, in a short time, you will pre- persuade me to become a Christian. Now, that these are from the New American Standard Bible. That's what I use. Um, but the King James, New King James translated this. You almost persuaded me to become a Christian. You almost did. That's what that's what Grippa said. He said, you almost did. But the overall point of that conversation was the king agreed with Paul in his argument. Right, he, he believed him. He agreed with his argument or his thesis that he was doing, that he almost persuaded him. You know what? Listen, man, many people live like that. They don't deny God's law. They don't deny God's requirements. And they, they even acknowledge facts about God but they aren't believers. Church is full of that. Church is full of it. They are full of it. Baptist churches, man, they're full of it right now. They are, they're, they are speaking, they're, they're preaching sermons and they are intentionally, uh, they are intentionally skirting the truth because it's going to hurt their numbers. That's just the facts. That's just the truth. Secondly, kind of answer that we're still going on those questions. All right, I mean, back here in my notes. We're still going on those questions. Uh, what does it mean to be saved? How does one get saved? What is the evidence of being saved? Well, let's look about faith and repentance go together. You must believe that He is. You must believe that He is God and died for your sins. I mean, if you don't believe that, then how can you be saved? Furthermore, repentance is defined. This is defined by Wayne Grudem in his book, Systematic Theology. Repentance is defined as, quote, a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncement of it, and and a, a sincere commitment, a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. Now, that's the definition. I'll read it again real quickly. 
Quote, a heartfelt sorrow for sin, a renouncement of it, and a sincere commitment to forsake it and walk in obedience to Christ. Therefore, it is more than just a sorrow for sin. It is a turning to God and running from sin. Repentance is an intellectual understanding of sin that it is wrong. It is an approval of the teachings of Scripture regarding sin and turning from sin to God. So here's, repentance is a big thing. It's a big theological subject. It's evidenced by how you live. It's evidenced by how you live. So, understanding repentance... um, and faith, they go together because you believe and you turn. But I want to note an important statement here, and, and I want you to get this too. Genuine repentance will result in a changed life. That's true. It'll result in a changed life. It's not perfect a life. It's not a perfect life because we all see them. We know there's, this, there's a distinct difference between... That, but there's sorrow for disobeying God and repentance towards God. That's what Acts 20, 21 says. End quote. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he rejoiced over the repentance. Listen to what it says. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10. I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So man, you know what? You can acknowledge that repentance is one that is toward God because the sorrow is not towards being caught or guilty but towards God, according to the will of God. See, that's the difference. See, there's a sorrow that produces uh, death. That's worldly sorrow. And that is a sorrow for just being guilty doesn't lead to a person obeying the will of God. It does not lead to a change of behavior. The result is death. That's a worldly sorrow. Godly grief for sin leads to repentance and a change in lifestyle and behavior. A man can be sorry for getting caught cheating on his wife, but he not repent. I mean, he can he can be he can do all of those things and not repent. So that's important. Second Corinthians seven nine ten. You ought to, man. If you don't get anything, read that and and read it this week or whenever you hear this. He rejoiced that they were made sorrowful, but they weren't. They were made sorrowful to the point of repentance, and it changed them. They turned. All right, so let's begin to sum up the first truth of my podcast. All right, I know you're grateful for that, but listen, if you've listened so far and sticking it out, thank you. Genuine saving faith produces results that go contrary to the world's behavior. Listen to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 5. One of my favorite passages of Scripture. It tells two stories here. First, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. 
Verse 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them were two all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, children of wrath even as the rest. Now listen, let me just... You just you grab this. This is who you were as a Christian. If you're a Christian, this is who you were. You were bound by that. The course of the world, you had the prince and the power of the air and the spirit of the air. You were living in the lust of your flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. You were by nature children of wrath. But God, verse 4. Somebody asked me my testimony. I said, what's your testimony? I say, but God. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we're dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with grace, for by grace, with Christ, for by grace you saved. Man, you get that? There's two stories there. There's a dead man and a live man. There's who you were. There's who you were. And then there's but God. And you see the difference? See, you were dead, now you're alive. So you can't, you can't tell me and you can't say. You can't keep going back to a, a day or a decision or when you were, whenever it was. If you're trying to say that that's what saved you, Man, you're going after the wrong thing. It's not a decision. It's not decisional regeneration. It is the work of God in your life, and it'll be evidenced by how you live. Not by a standard of a Baptist church or not by some legalistic standard somewhere. No, it's, it's evidenced by how you live. If you live like the world, then there's been no true salvation. And when you repent, you repent towards God. And it results in genuine repentance and change. All right? All right so, so 2 Corinthians um, chapter 5, verse 16 through 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Not, not yet now, we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, here it is. You ready? Y'all sitting down? Come on, it's truth now. He is a new creature. Wait a minute. Old things passed away. Hold on. Behold, new things have come. You know what it all hinges on? That conjunction, if. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So here's the thing. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Man, that just, that's just so, that's so glorious. Namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though we were making and appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now look, there is this conjunction if. If 
you say you're a new creature in Christ and those old things, man, they're passed away. There they are. Old things are passed away. It is clear that salvation is not a mere decision date you keep going back to. It may very well be that you know the exact time of day that you play and place where you were saved. And that's that's fine. I'm not, not knocking that. But that's not the issue. The issue is if you keep using that as a means of your salvation and not evidence of fruits and repentance, then man, you may never be saved. Do not keep using some event for your redemption. Do not keep using some event for your redemption, but believe and repent and God will transform you. You will go from death to life. You will go from old to new. And it will be clear as you turn from sin to God. So as I wrap this thing up today, we must speak the truth concerning salvation. We must speak it. The holiness of God and what it means to be a true follower of Christ We understand the basic function of repentance and reversing of our direction, turning towards God. We we understand that. We speak that. We know that. And when somebody says that, hey man, I was saved uh, X many years ago, but there's no evidence in their life. There's no desire. Man, it's time to talk to them about, share the gospel. Talk to them about fruit of repentance. Talk to them about... Uh, holiness and righteousness and use the scriptures. And if if churches and pastors keep selling the gospel in some kind of form, we're going to produce more and more false converts. So, I hope that I spoke the truth in love. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a burden about this and, and I want to share Christ and His glorious saving grace and, and so that people will truly and genuinely follow the Lord. Hey man, don't uh, just keep coming back. Keep coming back to these episodes. We're going we're gonna to do another one um, probably in a couple of weeks. I hope to do it every two weeks or so. And again, I'll give you our, our contact info. Um, our contact info is, uh, you can go to our website, mcbaptistchurch.net. That's Mount Carmel Baptist Church in Temple. And on there, there's links to articles and links to email and other contact forms and so forth. Um, I'm on a, a Instagram and uh, Facebook. I don't do Facebook a lot, but I do get on there. Uh, so anyway, the Speak the Truth a podcast. This is episode one completed, and the truth was concerning salvation. God bless, and see you next time.